Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. And Lord, now as we turn to your word in the presence of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do work in us so that when we leave this experience, people truly know us by your love expressed through us. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves yet again to your Lordship. We say that Christ is Lord, and we pray that we would become more like Jesus today. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I spent some time on a farm this week. I spent some time with one of our members out on his farm, and we rode around the farm in, uh, around recently harvested fields and just looked. And, and, and I got to ask a lot of questions because I'm not a farmer, didn't grow up on a farm. Uh, but I asked about, you know, how the crop did this year and, and how precipitation levels earlier in the summer and then later in the summer, heavy or the lack thereof, might have affected the yield. We talked about increased costs. Uh, because it costs money to do all the things you need to do to grow the crop uh, and ask if there was increased selling prices that would help offset some of that increased cost. But in all of our conversation, it was fascinating to me, but there was one question that I never asked. We had been talking for quite some time about these hundreds of acres of soybeans that this farmer had harvested. But there was one question I didn't ask him. You know what it was? What'd you plant? because we had been talking about his harvest of soybeans. I assumed that he planted soybeans, and sure enough, he planted soybeans. And do you know how I know he planted soybeans? Because he harvested soybeans. That's the way it works every single time. Um, If you want corn, you have to plant corn. If you want watermelons, you have to plant watermelons. If you want cucumbers, you have to plant cucumbers. If you want to have pumpkins this time of the year, you have to plant pumpkins. If you want mums, like my wife, to kill on your front porch, you, <laughs> you have to have planted mums at some point in the past. And we get that. He said, why, preacher, are you insulting our intelligence by giving us all these examples of things that if you want to get them, you have to plant them? We understand that you don't get what you don't plant. We understand that you harvest what you plant. Or, or maybe in biblical terms, we understand that you reap what you sow. Well, what's interesting is God takes that remarkably common knowledge and uses it to teach us a spiritual truth. This is not our text for today. We're going back to James, but the Apostle Paul uses this analogy in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, when he says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So what is Paul teaching us? He's teaching us that as we trust and follow Jesus, we sow not to the flesh. We don't want to take this corrupted flesh and sow of the flesh because if we sow corruption, guess what we're going to reap? Corruption. You get what you plant. You reap what you sow. 
So I'm not going to sow to the flesh. No, I'm going to sow to the everlasting, ever-living Spirit of Almighty God. For if I sow of the Spirit, I will reap everlasting life. James is going to teach us how that works today. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to James chapter 3. If you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, we are still on page 1012. We'll be back there again next week, Lord willing. But we're going to listen to God teach us through James what it means to sow righteousness. James is going to teach us today that, that we can sow in such a way that we would reap disorder and every vile practice. And conversely, he's going to teach us that there's a way we can sow that we might reap a harvest of righteousness. So our theme today is this, we sow righteousness. By faith, we sow righteousness. Now, before we get into this, let me give you a vitally important caveat. What we are not talking about when we talk about the principle of reaping what we sow is the word karma. Karma is not a Christian idea, okay? Karma comes from Hinduism and Buddhism and has to do with the credit you either earn or squander that will be displayed in your reincarnation. Let me be very clear. We do not believe in reincarnation. We do not believe in karma or good works or bad works leading us to a different reincarnate life in our next go-round. Those are not Christian ideas. Those are opposed to the teachings of Christ. And so I would encourage you, drop your use of the word karma because number one, most people who use it are using it incorrectly anyway. It is, a, it is an Eastern religion idea, okay? And it's opposed to the teachings of Christianity. So, so we do not believe in karma. We do believe in the biblical principle that you reap what you sow. You get out what you put in. But that's a very important distinction. I wanted to make it this morning. James chapter 3. We're going to look today at verses 13 through 18. And we'll start with verse 13. Our theme is, by faith we sow righteousness. And James, the brother of Jesus, writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So our first point today is this, as we are learning what it means to sow righteousness, is this, by faith we display wisdom. By faith, we display wisdom, just as real faith will display itself in works. So also does wisdom display itself in works. And in the same way, if you claim to have faith but have no works, James would say, you, you don't have faith. That faith that you claim is dead because faith that is living will produce works in you. And in the same way, if you claim to have wisdom and yet do not act according to wisdom, you are revealing that you don't have wisdom. How many of you know people of whom it was said, oh, they are wise, but then you observed their life and learned otherwise? Yeah, our, our actions display our faith. Our actions display our wisdom or our lack thereof. In Psalm 111, verse 10, the psalmist says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it, 
Let me say it one more time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. In other words, it's not enough to have wisdom. We have to practice wisdom. We have to live it out. Just as real faith displays itself, true wisdom displays itself. And how is wisdom displayed? Well, James tells us that wisdom is displayed through good conduct. Wisdom is displayed through good conduct. Jesus would say this. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, Jesus is speaking, and He says, wisdom is justified, that is, vindicated by her deeds. In other words, wisdom is observable. We don't just become repositories of wisdom. We don't just become these these containers that hold wisdom. No, wisdom expresses itself in action. In what kind of action? By good conduct in the meekness of wisdom. You know, in this day when James was writing this letter, for him to say meekness of wisdom would have been hard for his audience to stomach because meekness was not looked highly upon in those days. And I would say that in our day, meekness is not looked highly upon. Just ask those who are trying to make money through news networks. How many anchors are well-known for their meekness and gentleness? No. We want to be the gotcha people. We want to be the ones who attract the attention. And do you know what attracts attention? Not the good things. No, the fear-mongering things. That attracts attention. So, so don't, don't express meekness. That will be confused with weakness, and that's not at all what God has in mind. Grant Osborne, who is a professor at the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, says this, <clears throat> meekness comes not from cowardice or passivity, but rather from trusting God and therefore being set free from anxious self-promotion. Trusting God and therefore being set free from anxious self-promotion. Does that speak to our generation? Mm-hmm. Have you seen social media? That's all it is. It's anxious self-promotion. I've got to get my name out there. I've got to get my message out there. I've got to get my face out there. We've all become our own marketing agents. But Jesus never called us to make a name for ourselves, did He? He called us to make His name known. And so we come in the meekness of wisdom. And you may ask, well, what do I do if I need wisdom? Well, thankfully, God has already answered that question through the pen of James in James chapter 1, verse 5, when He said this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So as you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, if you are in need of wisdom, and let me help you, all of us are in need of wisdom, what do we do to get it? We ask God for it, and He gives it. You remember Solomon? God said, what would you have me do for you? And Solomon said, I need wisdom. I can't do this without you. And that humility in that moment caused God to bless Solomon in such an amazing way, such that there was no one wiser on the earth at that time. So we come humbly before Almighty God saying, Lord, I can't do this without you. I can do nothing apart from you. I need your wisdom. And God, who gives generously to all without reproach, will give it. Well, let's look at how we sow that which we do not want. Look with me at verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Our second point, by faith, we fight selfishness. By faith, we fight selfishness. Now, you may say, I'm not selfish at all. I would challenge you. If you feel that you are not selfish at all, get into a friendship. You'll learn that you're more selfish than you think. Have a roommate. I went to college and learned that my only child upbringing, now confined into the space of basically a closet, with another 300-pound human being, I was more selfish than I thought I was. If you don't think you're selfish, get married. Amen? Yeah. I married the most selfish woman. <laughs> I'm, I just want to make sure you're still awake. I'm the selfish one, and she is too. We're selfish together. If you really want to know if you're selfish, have children who wake you up in the middle of the night because they've had a bad dream and you just fell asleep and you've been trying to fall asleep and you couldn't fall asleep, but here comes the tug on your arm in the middle of the night, Daddy. <sighs> yes, dear. We're all more selfish than we think we are, aren't we? We look out for number one. We look out for ourselves, but God calls us not to do that. He calls us to, to fight against selfishness. James speaks very clearly on this issue, just as James speaks very clearly on every issue. He says this, that God is calling us to examine our hearts, to see if there is selfish ambition in there. Is there bitter jealousy in there? Another word the Bible would use for this would be covetousness. It's the tenth of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. In other words, don't spend your life wanting what everybody else has. Don't spend your life comparing yourself to the Joneses as I look at the Joneses. Not just you all, but all the Joneses, right? Don't spend your life comparing and asking God, well, why do they have that and I don't? Why do they experience that? Why do they not have to go through that but I do? It's a miserable existence. But it also reveals something, James would say. He said, if I'm exhibiting boastfulness and jealousy and selfish ambition, if I'm engaging in disorder and vile practices, then I am functioning according to the sort of wisdom James describes as earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom, demonic wisdom. If I'm functioning according to selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, what I am functioning according to is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. God teaches us in His Word, particularly 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and the first part of verse 19, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. The wisdom of this world says make a name for yourself. The wisdom of this world says to become the greatest. Spoiler alert, there will always be somebody greater. The wisdom of this world says magnify yourself. But God calls us to live differently. Jesus himself said to his disciples, this is how the world lives, but this is not how you live. 
We all know what happened in the upper room just before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Before he instituted the Lord's Supper, he washed their feet. And after the institution of the Lord's Supper, Luke the physician tells us in his gospel that a dispute arose among the disciples right after the institution of the Lord's Supper. I don't know about you, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper in worship and I leave, I'm kind of in a holy moment. They are in the first Lord's Supper. It is the first, last supper. And Luke tells us this is what happened. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So maybe the issues that we face today in a social media age are issues intrinsic to the human condition in a sin-fallen world. Maybe we've been wondering who's the greatest for a long time. And maybe they weren't looking for likes and hearts and follows but they still had on their mind who is the greatest. Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing their thoughts, knowing their minds, he says this, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not so with you. You and I and Jesus are called to be different. We can only be different by the power of His Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And the pathway to living in that difference, to sowing righteousness, is surrendering ourselves consistently to Almighty God. Lord, I'm tempted to make a name for me. I'm tempted to wonder if I'm the greatest. But my call is not to become the greatest. My call is to magnify the one who is the greatest, Jesus. Help me. Well, now, James is going to give us the positive angle on how we sow righteousness. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Our third and final point today is this. By faith, we sow righteousness. How do we do that? We sow righteousness by living our lives according to God's wisdom. It does not drive us towards selfish ambition and vain conceit and bitter jealousy. No, God's wisdom is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Can I just ask us, in a world that is no longer open to reason, where we can't talk about anything about which we might disagree because all of a sudden we'll have to cancel each other out because we disagree with one another, can we please, as the people of God, be the people who function according to God's wisdom that is open to reason? You know, there are people in this room and people who are part of this worship experience that I would disagree with on certain issues. But you know what my fundamental posture is toward those with whom I would disagree, particularly those who are in this room or a part of this broadcast? This is a human being that I love. 
And that's the foundation of our relationship, not our agreement on this particular issue. I love them. So we may disagree, and we may disagree heartily, but I love them because they'll know I'm a Christian by my what? Political affiliation? The pin I wear on my lapel? They'll know I'm a Christian by the bumper sticker I've got on my car? Or they'll know I'm a Christian that, that, I, that I observe this certain secondary or tertiary doctrine? No. I know I'm a Christian because of the love in me. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then he says that those who sow in peace by making peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Matthew 5, 9, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And in God's economy, peace is more than just the absence of conflict. It is, it is this idea of wholeness, completeness, well-being, health. Did you know, I believe with all my heart that God has got you and me in this moment, for such a time as this, in such a place as this, to be instruments of his peace. That's not pacifism. Sometimes you have to stand up and fight for what is right because there are evil people who will try to murder others in the name of their cause and their greatness. No, no, we have to stand for what is right and what is true, and we have to protect people. So it's not pacifism, but it's peacemaking. I will seek to usher in peace. Michael Card wrote a song years ago about the woman who was caught in adultery in John's gospel. And he described Jesus, listen to this, this is so beautiful. He described Jesus in that scene of frenzied human beings who were calling for this woman's death by stoning. Michael Card described Jesus as the center, the eye of the storm. What's true about the eye of the storm? There's peace. It may be raging all around, but where Jesus is, there's something greater. There's someone greater. And our call is to sow righteousness in such a way that we become the eye of the storm as it rages around us because Christ is in us and Christ is through us and Christ blesses all. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.